to The People's Scientist, the podcast dedicated to helping us optimize our health with the latest scientific findings on nutrition, health, and medicine. I, your host, Dr. Stephanie Caligiuri, will be here with you every single week, bringing us information to ignite our thinking to help us be one step closer to the healthiest we can be. and welcome back to the People Scientist Podcast. If you are tuning in for the first time, then welcome to the People Scientist Army, where every week I arm you with the scientific evidence so you can live the healthiest life you can possibly live. This week, we are covering a topic that I personally am very interested in, and that is all the scientific evidence on vegetarian, plant-based, and vegan diets. Some of the statistics and data I found on these diets was actually quite shocking to me, and I bet it will surprise all of you too. But before I jump into the scientific evidence on eating plant-based, I wanted to discuss somewhat of a philosophical nutrition topic. I was talking to my friend Kieran the other day about how on social media there are these huge arguments happening between the plant-based diet community and the more paleo, ketogenic, meat-centric communities. I mean, if you ever wanted to see a really confusing war among uninformed, polarized people, Just go on Twitter or Facebook and you'll see it. My friend's reaction to this was she said, diets are the new religion. And that statement has kept me thinking for quite a while. With our world becoming more secular, people are looking to diets as a source of community, purpose in life, and fulfillment. Some people can be so fired up about a diet because they believe in it so strongly. And if anyone says anything that may conflict with what they want to be true about their diet, some people can get really upset and claim that, well, that person must be wrong then. But let's be honest here. No diet is 100% perfect. There will always be pros and cons to different ways of eating. Not to mention that everyone's physiology is unique. People have different conditions that they're living with, and they may respond to a diet differently than someone else. You need to decide for yourself what is best for you and your body. And in truth, for the communities out there that are arguing plant-based versus keto, You realize that it is possible to be both, right? You can eat a plant-based keto diet. Sure, it's harder, but it's definitely possible. So I think the fact that these two communities are polarizing and arguing with each other so much, it's not necessary. But given that thought, this week I am covering plant-based diets that many people can have very strong beliefs about, in particular in regard to animal ethics. So let me first off start by defining each plant-based diet. People that eat both plants and animals are characterized as being omnivores. Vegetarians do not eat meat or the flesh of animals, for example, so they don't eat fish either, but can still consume animal products such as dairy. Then there are different versions of being vegetarian. For example, people can choose to be pescatarian, where they add fish to a vegetarian diet, or they can be ovo-vegetarian, where they add eggs to a vegetarian diet. Plant-based eating is a newer term that some people may have not heard before. I've heard plant-based eating being used as a general term to include vegetarians and vegans. And I've also heard plant-based defined as someone that does not eat meat and does not eat products derived from animals, including dairy and fish oil, for example. The last category, and the most strict, is veganism. My understanding of veganism after speaking with many people who are vegan is that veganism is more of a lifestyle that certainly includes an animal ethics component and also transcends past diet and into all aspects of their life. For example, someone that says they are vegan is likely not to consume animal meat, animal products, 
or even insect products such as honey. And they also choose not to use uh, any products that are tested on animals or even beeswax-based cosmetics or any clothing that has been made from animals. Now, a lot of people choose to be vegetarian or vegan for many reasons. It can be health-related, which I will cover in today's podcast, but I think it would be unjust of me not to mention the animal ethics and environmental component. I think the animal ethics part of being vegetarian or vegan is quite self-explanatory, but a lot of people choose to eat this way because it is more environmentally sustainable. Baroni in 2006 published the environmental impact of an omnivore diet, again meaning someone who eats animals and plants, versus a vegetarian or vegan diet. Now the environmental impact of a vegan diet was 25% that of an omnivore diet. And a vegetarian diet was 50% that of an omnivore diet. I mean, just think about it. The amount of food that went into feeding the animal throughout its lifetime could feed more people than the animal itself can. For example, Dr. David Pimentel from Cornell, Cornell University stated, if all the grain currently fed to livestock in the United States was consumed directly by people, the number of people who could be fed would be nearly 800 million. So it's quite clear that eating vegetarian or vegan diets is more environmentally sustainable. But what is the scientific evidence in regard to the impact of these diets on our health? So let's start off with some large observational trials that look at the correlation of vegetarian or vegan diets with health outcomes. I had mentioned this paper a few episodes back. It was a huge landmark observational trial published by Fung and colleagues in the journal Annals of Internal Medicine back in 2010. The investigators looked at a cohort of over 80,000 women and over 40,000 men. The scientists had concluded that people who consumed a low carbohydrate diet rich in plant sources of protein and fat had a 23% reduced risk of heart disease and a 20% reduced risk of death from all causes. In contrast, those that consumed a low-carb diet rich in animal sources of protein and fat saw some negative health effects. They had a 28% increased risk of cancer mortality, a 14% increase in death from heart disease, and a 23% increase in the risk of death. Now that is quite substantial. Dinu in 2016 in the journal Critical Reviews in Food Science and Nutrition had pulled together 96 studies that investigated the health effects of vegetarian and vegan diets in a meta-analysis. So meta-analysis, again, is where they pull together all the data of all these studies to finally have one final answer. The scientists concluded that those who ate vegetarian or vegan diets tended to have a lower body mass index, or BMI. They tended to have lower total cholesterol, lower LDL cholesterol, that bad cholesterol, and they tended to have lower blood glucose levels versus those that ate an omnivore diet. Now, with regard to the prospective cohort studies, eating a vegetarian or vegan diet was associated with a 25% reduction in death from heart disease and an 8% reduced incidence of cancer. A vegan diet in particular was associated with a 15% reduced risk of cancer incidence. In 2016, in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, it was concluded that Caucasian men who followed a vegan diet had a 35% lower risk of prostate cancer versus men who followed all other diets. In 2010, in the British Journal of Cancer, they concluded that high intakes of dairy protein 
were significantly associated with prostate cancer in a cohort of over 142,000 men. We also get a lot of our data from the Oxford Vegetarian Study that back in the 1980s recruited 6,000 vegetarians and 5,000 omnivores and followed them for over a decade to look at death rates and incidence of cancer and heart disease. In 1999, they observed, as other studies have, that being vegetarian was associated with a 20% reduced risk of death, 28% reduced risk of heart disease, and 39% reduced risk of cancer. Now, if we see one correlation study showing a vegetarian or vegan diet has beneficial effects, we may think, hmm, it could be something there. When a second study comes out showing the same thing, it makes us think, hmm, we really should look further into this. Then we see a third, and a fourth, fifth, and now dozens of studies are showing the same thing. Now it's time to consider that these results are pretty substantial. Other than observational and correlative studies, the Next best study to look at are intervention studies, where people previously ate an omnivore diet, then switched to a vegetarian or vegan diet in order to assess their health outcomes. There are several meta-analyses that again pool together many randomized controlled trials where switching to a vegetarian diet was the intervention. Now the scientists observed overall in these intervention studies that switching to a vegetarian or vegan diet induced weight loss, reduced blood cholesterol levels, reduced blood pressure, and markers of inflammation. One clinical trial took 39 omnivores and split them into three diet groups for two weeks, of which a vegetarian diet was one group. Those who switched to the vegetarian diet exhibited an improvement in many measures of their mood. This was published in the Nutrition Journal in 2012. So if a vegetarian or vegan diet seems to be protective against heart disease, cancer, and death from all causes, what are the mechanisms? How is it doing that? Well, first off, it could be due to reducing inflammation. In 2004, in a small study by Stetso published that versus omnivores, vegetarians tended to have higher levels of ascorbic acid or vitamin C in their plasma and lower levels of C-reactive protein, which is a marker of systemic chronic inflammation. And we know that inflammation and oxidative stress are both implicated in heart disease and cancer. Vegetarian diets may also have benefit because they are cutting out red and processed meats. In October 2015, 22 scientists from 10 countries met at the International Agency for Research on Cancer to evaluate the cancer-causing effects of red meat and processed meat. In their evaluation, red meat referred to beef, veal, pork, lamb, mutton, horse, or goat. Processed meat referred to meat that has been transformed through salting, curing, fermentation, or smoking. The most common examples of this include deli meats and salami. Meat processing, such as curing and smoking, can result in the formation of cancer-promoting chemicals, including N-nitroso compounds and polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons. Red meat and processed meat can enhance the effect of nitrosyl heme on the formation of cancer-causing N-nitroso compounds, can also cause lipid peroxidation, which is implicated in one of the causes of heart disease. Now, a meta-analysis, again, that pooled together many studies, looked at colorectal cancer in 10 different cohort studies and reported a statistically significant dose response with a 17% increased risk of colorectal cancer per 100 grams of red meat eaten per day 
and an 18% increased risk of colorectal cancer per 50 grams of processed meat eaten per day. Data were also available for more than 15 other types of cancer. Positive associations were seen in cohort studies and population-based case control studies between the consumption of red meat and cancers of the pancreas and the prostate, and between consumption of processed meat and cancer of the stomach. Now, because we looked at a lot of observational studies that are limited to correlation, it is important to also look at intervention studies, where people were asked to eat red meat for several weeks, so we can look at measurements of cancer risk before and after. Two different intervention studies recruited healthy volunteers for this. A blinded controlled clinical study conducted by Pierre and colleagues in 2013 asked healthy men to eat 180 grams of ham for four days in a row. They noted that eating that much ham or processed meat for four days in a row increased lipid peroxidation and nitrosamines in the feces of these volunteers. Both lipid peroxidation and nitrosamines are toxic to the cells in our body, and both are implicated not only in cancer growth, but heart disease as well. In the second intervention study, Liu in 2015 conducted a controlled study in which healthy volunteers were given lean red meat to eat every day for four weeks. The amount of red meat eaten every day weighed 300 grams raw before it was cooked. So keep in mind, this is quite a lot of red meat to eat daily. Nevertheless, the participants agreed to eat this much meat every day for four weeks, as well as to provide rectal biopsies to be taken before and after the red meat intervention. Following the four weeks of eating red meat, the participants' biopsies exhibited increased epithelial proliferation, which is an indication of potential early cancer, cancer growth, and a 21% increase in rectal adducts which is an indication of DNA mutagenesis, which can lead to colorectal cancer. The good news is they also had an additional group where they added a high fiber diet to the red meat. And the high fiber did reduce some of the negative effects of the red meat. The reason being fiber can produce short chain fatty acids by the bacteria in the colon. And these short chain fatty acids are protective for our colon cells. In addition, a high-fiber diet reduces transit time in the colon and therefore reduces the amount of time the colon is exposed to the harmful nitroso compounds found in red meat. Now, I don't mean to share this data with you in order to scare you. That is not my intention. You'll know that the associations with cancer risk tended to be for a daily consumption of red meat and processed meat. So just keep in mind that moderation is always key and important. Eating red meat or processed meat once in a while is not associated with cancer. Another reason why plant-based diets may have health benefits is because they tend to be lower in bioaccumulated environmental toxins. When animals are exposed to environmental toxins, whatever is not excreted or removed from their body is stored in their bones, fat tissue, and muscle. For example, heavy metals such as mercury, lead, and cadmium Antibiotics, synthetic hormones, and plastic breakdown products have been detected in animal meat and bones. Heavy metals are even detected in organic meats because it is not always easy to control the environment to which the animals are exposed. The level of these environmental contaminants are thought to be less in plants simply because they do not bioaccumulate like they do in animals. 
In 2010, in the British Journal of Nutrition, vegans were found to have significantly lower levels of the environmental contaminants, organochlorines, versus those who ate an omnivore diet. Schechter in 2001 published that vegan-based diets are lower in many environmental contaminants such as PCBs, PCDFs, dioxins, and dibenzofurans, and vegans tended to have lower levels of these compounds in their blood versus omnivores as well. Vegetarian diets may also have benefit against heart disease, cancer, and mortality because if followed in a healthful manner, these diets tend to be higher in fiber, vitamin C, carotenoids, and antioxidant polyphenols. Another reason why plant-based diets may be associated with lower death rates, and some argue is the most important reason, is because these diets tend to be lower in protein. There was a landmark paper published by Levine and colleagues in 2014. They showed using both observational clinical data and animal studies that lower protein intake in middle age significantly lowered cancer incidence. The respondents in this study that were aged 50 to 65 years old that reported higher protein intake, which they defined as 20% or more of calories coming from protein, had a 75% increase in overall death and mortality and a four-fold increase in cancer death risk during the following 18 years. Four-fold, that's 400%. I was floored by that statistic when I read this. Now, this was a well-designed observational study published in a top-tier journal. And after reading all of this research, the number of studies that show these associations with protein and eating animal products and meat with an increased risk of heart disease, cancer, and death, it's just, it's overwhelming. But what they did note in this study is that these associations of high protein with mortality were either abolished or attenuated if the proteins were plant-derived. Again, showing that the association seems to be specific to animal protein. However, in the elderly, which are aged 65 plus, the investigators noted that moderate to higher protein intake, which they defined as 10 to 19% of calories coming from protein, appeared to be protective for longevity. It is hypothesized that in the elderly, malabsorption of protein and weight loss and frailty is of concern. So moderate to higher protein intakes in the elderly may be warranted. Of course, the conditions of the person, such as their kidney function, and if they are on dialysis, is very important in the consideration of their protein intake at an older age. I published back in 2014, and it has been replicated many times over by Dr. Harold Alkema and others, that high protein intake at the top of the recommended intake at 35% of calories coming from protein, I can actually have negative effects on kidney function and histology when shown in different animal models. When it comes to the clinical data, there's no data to suggest that that high protein intake in healthy people can impact kidney function, but certainly in people with chronic kidney disease, it can. So you may be wondering, how can high protein increase our risk of death and cancer? In this study by Levine in 2014, they showed in animal studies that high protein intake can increase the risk of cancer because dietary protein increases mTOR and insulin-like growth factor 1, or abbreviated IGF-1, which are oncogenic cancer-promoting mediators. It is thought that if you are eating high protein, then you better be using that protein, for example, to repair muscle from weight training or to grow as a child. Otherwise, very high intake of protein may stimulate unneeded growth, i.e. stimulate the growth of cancer. 
We know that dietary protein restriction, on the other hand, reduces mTOR and IGF-1, and thus can induce autophagy, that cellular cleanup process of the body, and inhibits cancer cell growth. I discussed the process of autophagy a few episodes back in the intermittent fasting episode. The key with intermittent fasting is protein restriction in order to induce autophagy. Vegetarian diets tend to be lower in protein naturally than diets that include meat. Now again, to be clear, we need protein to be healthy. Protein is needed for our immune system, for collagen production, for our bones and skin, and to produce all the important receptors in our body. Now, according to the Institute of Medicine, the minimum amount of protein to consume is 10% of our calories coming from protein. Another way to calculate the minimum protein intake is to take your weight in kilograms and multiply that by 0.8, and that will give you the grams of protein to consume per day. So if you are considering switching to a vegetarian or vegan diet, it's important to consider that there could be some potential side effects. The two most common nutritional deficiencies in a vegan or vegetarian diet are vitamin B12 and iron. Now deficiencies in these two can lead to anemia or neurological conditions where initial symptoms can be fatigue, numbness and tingling in the hands and feet, lightheadedness and headaches, for example. So it is important to obtain vegetarian or vegan sources of iron and vitamin B12. Sources of iron include whole grains, fortified cereals, legumes such as lentils, beans, and peas, tofu, and nuts and seeds. Vitamin B12 is the most difficult to obtain because it is largely only found in animal products. So if vegetarian, you can get B12 from dairy. And if ovo-vegetarian, you can get it from eggs. If pescatarian, you can get vitamin B12 from fish. If eating plant-based or vegan, you can get vitamin B12 from nutritional yeast, which many people will sprinkle over all kinds of foods. Or you can get vitamin B12 from fortified cereals and fortified plant milks. For some, a B12 supplement may be necessary. Vegetarian or vegan diets may also tend to be lower in calcium. Tucker in 2014 in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition noted that vegetarians and in particular vegans may be at a higher risk for lower bone mineral density and at a higher risk for fractures. As a result, it is really important to make sure to obtain dietary sources of calcium as well as vitamin D in order to facilitate better absorption of calcium. Vegan sources of calcium include green leafy vegetables, dried figs, chia seeds, almonds, and fortified plant milks. There may also be concern that vegetarians and vegans will not have sources of the long-chain omega-3 fatty acids, EPA, and DHA in their diet which we know are important for our brain function and reducing inflammation. So first off, those on a vegetarian or vegan diet can consume the omega-3 fatty acid, alpha-linolenic acid, which is a vegetarian-based omega-3 fatty acid. Now, alpha-linolenic acid in itself has many health benefits, and I've even produced some research showing that it can have some anti-inflammatory effects. Now, alpha-linolenic acid can also be converted to the longer-chain derivatives, EPA and DHA, in our bodies. Now, sources of this vegetarian omega-3 fatty acid include flax oil, flax seed, chia seed, hemp seed, and walnuts, for example. There are EPA and DHA also found in algae, so some vegetarians and vegans will eat algae or take algae supplements. 
In vegetarian and vegan diets, it is also possible to be deficient in essential amino acids. So it is important to combine foods with complementary amino acid profiles. For example, whole grains and beans together complement one another to create a whole protein. Another example is hummus and a whole grain pita. In some scenarios, people will want to combine diets, and for example, be vegetarian and low carb. This is certainly possible to do in a healthful way, but just a little more restrictive. Lots of vegetables and healthy plant sources of fat and protein, such as avocados, nuts, nut butters, flaxseed, chia seed, and hemp seed, for example, are helpful in this scenario. So keep in mind there is always a healthy way and an unhealthy way to do every diet. The position of the American Dietetic Association is that appropriately planned vegetarian diets, including total vegetarian or vegan diets, are healthful, nutritionally adequate, and may provide health benefits in the prevention and treatment of certain diseases. Well-planned vegetarian diets are appropriate for individuals during all stages of the life cycle, including pregnancy, lactation, infancy, childhood, and adolescence, and for athletes. Now, the key part of their statement here is well-planned. You can technically be a vegetarian, but eat french fries, potato chips, and sugary cereals every day. That's technically vegetarian and vegan, but not very healthy. Or you can be a vegetarian that gets 8 to 10 servings of fruit and veggies, and a variety of whole grains, nuts, seeds, and beans and legumes. No matter which diet you follow, just make sure that it's rich in vegetables, fruits, and fiber. So there you have it, my people scientist army. That is it for our vegetarian, plant-based, and vegan lifestyle episode. I'm sorry if the information from all these studies has left you feeling confused. So let me break it all down in one final summary. Vegetarian and vegan diets are associated with a reduced risk of death, cancer, and heart disease across many different populations and across many different studies. Randomized controlled trials show that switching to a vegetarian or vegan diet may reduce blood pressure, cholesterol, inflammation, body weight, and may improve measures of mood. Plant-based diets may lower the risk of death, cancer, and heart disease because they tend to be richer in antioxidants, fruits, vegetables, and fiber. Some scientists speculate that the most protective feature of vegan and vegetarian diets is that they are lower in protein and void of red and processed meat in particular. If animal protein intake is reduced, it can reduce the risk of cancer-promoting mediators such as IGF-1 and mTOR, and instead induce beneficial processes such as autophagy. Lastly, plant-based diets are lower in environmental contaminants and as a result may also have a protective effect. If you don't want to eat vegetarian or vegan, just remember everything in moderation. It is recommended to limit our intake of red meat and processed meat, and that high-protein diets are not recommended unless, for example, you are building muscle through weight training. If you tend to eat a very high-protein diet rich in animal meat, you can consider replacing some animal meat with some healthy vegetarian fats, such as avocados, nuts, nut butters, flaxseed, chia seed, hemp seed, and coconuts, for example. Make sure that no matter which diet you follow, having lots of vegetables is the key to a very healthy diet and good health outcomes. So there you have it. That is it for this plant-based episode. I have given you the scientific evidence and now it is up to do with it what you will. I hope you all have a super healthy week 
and I will meet you back here the same time and same place on the People Scientist Podcast. I am a scientist simply sharing scientific evidence. Some of the clinical interventions I discuss are not appropriate for everyone. Before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle, please do consult the advice of your physician or dietitian. My opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect those of Mount Sinai Hospital and its affiliates.